Hi there, and welcome to our Hollowed Fruit Podcast. Here we will meet inspirational LGBTQIA persons whose journeys and practices illustrate the flowering and fertile possibilities for all of our souls. I'm Brian Anthos, a spiritual guide for pleasure and peace seekers. You can find out more about me at brianantos.com. Let's take a moment now to pause and find some quiet, and to consider again that we are a part of something larger than ourselves. As we begin, let us be at peace. Welcome to episode three of Our Hallowed Fruit. Today we welcome Sean Gak Gurrier, who's protesting for racial justice and equality. Hello world, hello universe, and welcome back to our Hollowed Fruit podcast. I'm Brian Anthos, and I'm so excited and grateful that you have chosen to join us today. And without further ado, we'll introduce our next guest, Mr. Sean Gak Guerrier from South Florida. Sean runs a boutique and very specialized family-owned and operated real estate company, Chantilly Realty, that has serviced South Florida for over 27 years. When Sean isn't helping to sell and buy your home, he is caring for his incredibly loving dog, Dottie, and also probably preparing a gorgeous culinary spread for his husband, Jared. And I've seen these spreads on social media. They are truly a piece of art. Sean is an unapologetically open-hearted man, a hard-working guy, and in Sean's own words, I am stubborn to my core. Sean, you are stubborn. <laughs> Though I must say the stubbornness is not maybe that more negative connotation that we often associate with it. The stubbornness, I would say, is a sense of belief mm-hmm. and a sense that good is possible. Absolutely. So thank you for your stubbornness, and thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. I will note that today, as we record this, is January 18th, Martin Luther King Day. His birthday. Yes. And so how appropriate that we record this particular conversation on this day. And so, Sean, I would love to begin this discussion by asking you to explain to the world a bit about the protests that you have chosen to take on, especially over this last year, and to share a bit about your reading that has been at the heart of your protest. Wonderful. Well, um, I'll backtrack a bit and say that my protest started one day when a lot of rioting was, was taking place at the beginning of COVID. And I took myself down to Boca and I stood on the roads with everyone and everyone was was angry. There was a, I could feel the tension in the air and, but I couldn't understand what me being there represented. Um, I came back home and I said to my husband, I, I, I need to find something, I need to do something. 
And um, that, that's what sort of opened up the dialogue of, of reading and read not only reading, but reading literature written by minority writers. That started with one book, <laughs> What I Know For Sure by Oprah, then it led to another book um, by Shonda Rhimes, very easy reading, very positive self, self-awareness. But then I jumped into um, something a little deeper, some uh, a story that made my mind go wild um, by the professor, Columbia University professor Tahanasi Coates, uh, Water Dances, The Water Dancer. That then just opened me up. I, I, I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. Um, I, I, I felt like I, I was transparent I was transferred into to these stories. And one of the things that then jumped out to me was, why were these stories not really available when I was in school? We were told to read all of the Dickinson and this and that, but none of these great, great uh, stories written by minority writers were never on the to-read summer list. Yeah, um, that took me into Toni Morrison, James Baldwin, Maya Angelou, and every book that I cracked, every book that I finished, um, drove me deeper and deeper into what I now call my protest. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get mad. I'm going to enlighten myself, and that's that's the journey that I have been on the last few months. Uh, I can't tell you how many books I've 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 opened and closed. And every time I close them, I feel like I'm taking a bit of history with me. So then what does that enlightenment look like? How does that manifest itself in your life, in your action, your thoughts? Well, you know, it's it's emotional. It's an emotional journey. One questioning why these things were not, they are on the shelf. They have been on the shelf. James Baldwin, we know James Baldwin, but why was that not on the the must-read high school list? Why why didn't we dive into that in my university, you know, uh literature courses? And so it, it, it leaves me very all over the place. Um, the one thing that I keep trying to do is come back to the reasoning why I am protesting. Why? Because everyone can protest in a different way. The men and women that are out there picketing and, and with their signs and, and, and their chants, those are equally as strong of a protest as I feel mine is. I watch my protest sort of branch off to my husband my sister, my uh, in-laws, um, who being married to, in an, in an interracial marriage, it opens up the eyes of, I think, more than just one, more than just standing there, you know, saying something and feeling a bit like a fish out of water. My protest is direct, you know, direct, has a direct impact on the people that are around me. I have a good friend, Lauren Michelle, who speaks about showing up. And that is that has been a part of her protest, just showing up um, in a lot of spaces where people don't look like us or sound like us. And um, I guess my protest of reading, reading literature by black minority 
Asian, anyone that is considered in the minority, the brown, Indian, you name it. I think that there are stories, there's secrets in each passage. And that's why I read it so very sacredly, because I'm trying to understand a little bit more about myself today through the past. What do you say to people, and I've heard this many times through years, especially in this last year, I've heard criticism of reading. And I've heard the phrase, you know, or this idea of you can't just read and think that you're helping this problem. This is beyond reading. Absolutely. So what, as a black man yourself, why read? Why is reading a protest to you? How do you explain that? Because as a black man growing up, we always heard the term that we live in a white man's world. Then the country voted in Barack Obama, which my father and I thought was one of the most historic moments in our lives to date. And we thought that things would change. But after um, President Obama's eight years in office, the country did something very different. They sort of flipped the coin and we took so many steps in a different direction from what the idea of Obama, what uh, President Obama, what the idea of the Obama family had in one of the most important seats in our house. So my reading, I guess, for me is sort of, I keep calling it reading up, learning up. I don't, I, I know that in 2021, I have something to say. I think that I am using my reading to figure that out. I'm, I'm, I'm fueling up right now. You can't fly a plane unless the engines have been checked and it is gassed up. And right now, my reading as a black man, um, this is me fueling up. I don't know what I have to say, but I know that I will be saying something soon. Um, that something will will continue with in line with what the great Dr. Martin Luther King wanted for us. Um, you know, I look back the, the the days leading up to his birthday today. I went back to so many videos. I went down that spiral as everyone does on the sofa, <laughs> looking at at one YouTube video after another and hearing the words that he, um, John Lewis. Malcolm X, you name it, how they were, they teamed up and read up. They, 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 they created this peaceful, peaceful uh, movement that took us a step forward. But right now, we as a country, we call ourselves the United States of a country. We're very ununited at the moment. Um, you can feel the energy in the air. And I guess my silent reading is I'm reading up, I'm fueling up in preparation for my next task. My next, my next task. Yeah. You know, I consider myself a spiritual person. So at the age of 37, I find myself looking for quiet time. I'm not looking for 
the party or the the loud noise or the loud music. I'm looking for the quiet time. And in that quiet time, I have heard what my job, what my next task is. And I think right now, as I read, I'm just waiting on the next sign. Yeah, this is so helpful to hear it, it that of your patience. And I think this goes back to your stubbornness, too. Uh, you are <laughs> stubbornly patient right now. Mm -hmm. And in that patience is a lot of action. It just might not be the action that mm, we just maybe think that action is. Well, in the lit in the literature, we, we learn certain terminology um, when we go over to Isabel Wilkinson, um, known for a lot of things. Um, Mrs. Wilkinson is a acclaimed writer from the New York Times, but she has written two of my favorite books, Cast and The Warmth of Other Suns. In these books, she speaks about the cast, the role that we've all fallen into. We've been born into and pre-programmed to have this position in life, this cast in life, um, which as, as we may or may not know, cast comes from the Indian form of hierarchy. Isabel speaks about how in today's society, we are programmed to know certain things as black people. White, white, our white brothers and sisters and my husband um, are programmed in a, in a very different way. Not to say that one is, is better than the other, but she speaks about experiences, um, both good and bad, that I think are empowering me to understand some, a little bit more of what my ancestors went through. And in this enlightenment, it's giving me the courage to, and preparation to do what's next. I talk about it a lot more at dinners. Um, now in the middle of this <laughs> pandemic, we do a lot of social uh, Zoom calls and meetings and cocktails with our friends via Zoom. And this reading, this enlightenment opens up a dialogue in some conversations with very good friends that normally wouldn't have been. It would have been like, hey, what are you up to? Dinner, this, okay, yeah, we're doing that, we're bored. Now I use the word bored very, almost never, because I'm not bored. When I have the luxury of having that quiet moment, I'm enlightening myself through the, this, these books and then sharing them right now in the safe way. When I meet with friends, I do, do a Zoom on Sundays with my friend Lauren and Daniel, and um, I mean, we're talking two and a half hours about some of this literature and i think they then go on to get some of these books because they're like wow i didn't wow that's that's you're really passionate about it that's like really interesting um another conversation with a really old family friend claudia in new york claudia's an older jewish woman and um isabel does a comparison between blacks and the Jewish community. And what really opened this, <laughs> this, this idea was when I read and understood that for the enslaved slaves, the thing that the master or the power that be kept away from them was literature. Hmm. They kept away reading and writing. 
they kept up because when you keep those tools from from a person you can hold them in their corner you can prevent them from thinking on their own she then directly has a correlation with the jewish community the very strong jewish community that during the holocaust the things that were taken away from them outside of their families um their spirits um they took away their literature their very very vast wow. amount of literature they took away their art and i said well they the powers that be must know something that i don't quite know yet and that's why i'm spending all of my downtime reading this literature because i i feel that there are some secret messages not to sound hokey but there's something in these words and that's why they were taken away and in many cases burned because if if you take a group of people and you take away the things that enlighten them and allow them to think on their own to grow on their own um you can keep someone in their cage and my reading is taking me out of a cage 2021 and I'm talking about coming out of a cage having the opportunity to run a business that my family my father created with my stepmother and I still talk about coming out of a cage that cage exists every time I walk out of my house every time I leave my house I'm walking out of that cage yeah yeah it's powerful to hear you speak about this it's disheartening at the same time it brings a whole new meaning hearing your last comments on this protest. That it's not just reading for the sake of reading. Uh, it's really kind of marking the fact that reading in so many times in our history, and maybe we need to realize what's possibly still being taken away today or not put into the mass circulation or what's accepted as the reading you're supposed to be doing right now. Mm. And maybe that's what you're helping so many of us to find right now. And to your point, what is the, you know, secret message as you say, but you know, what is the, or maybe what is the truth here that someone doesn't want us to hear? Yeah. And that's what, that's why I am so eager, diligent, um, that's why I talk about it as much as I can, because there is something in these words. Um, the great words, uh, James Baldwin, the fire next time, um, Tony Morrison, uh, Tony Morrison's song, songs of Solomon or song of Solomon. There are words in these great writers, there, there are messages in these great writers words. And, um, I'm going to spend the rest of my life figuring out what that is and trying to spread the word to anyone that will listen. Um, anyone that is willing to enlighten themselves. I had a conversation I mentioned with a, a old family friend in New York, Claudia and Claudia Brown. And she said to me, wow. She, she said, uh, educating yourself does an act of courage, Sean. And she said, I can't take credit for that line. <laughs> she couldn't remember who said it, but but that's what came to, to her, her mind. She goes, you are doing something extremely courageous, educating yourself, which my husband and I, we've made the decision. We're not having children, but we have 
nieces and nephews that were very active in their lives. So maybe a, a part of my protest is for them to see the example of their very loving uncles and, and what we do, how we live our lives, what we're reading. I joke with my sister that the moment um, our niece and nephew, Trey and Nova, are able to come to our home and spend a week or two, that before they go outside and play, Uncle Sean will expect them to read a chapter out of a book written <laughs> by a minority writer. Yeah. Um, maybe that's a part of my story. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think we're all, with this extra downtime in COVID, we all have a little bit more time on our hands to think. And um, I don't know. I think that this may be a part of my, a part of my calling. Absolutely. And again, appreciate so much your patient stubbornness in what has been your own journey and own life and and then now getting in maybe into some of the action from it and I know you say you don't know where it's going but I think just the uh, your ability and desire to share with others uh, both those you're closest with and those in your family friends that I feel privileged to call myself one of <laughs> um, and now with who knows who might listen to this. Sure. And so I know you say you don't know where it's going, but that stubbornness and patience is now uh, getting some more of kind of vocalization from you. Just again, so it's, it's inspiring and grateful that you've taken up this journey and in this way. Can't tell you how many times, like I said earlier, I've heard people say, um, and I can understand sort of where it's coming from. Like we can't just keep reading and think this is going to change, but I think you help us draw a very helpful dissonance here that we can't just, you know, climb the walls, if you will, and climb the barricades, if you will, without really understanding more about root issues. Absolutely. And really just at its simplest form, history. Correct. You can't know that something has to be changed you can't change something unless you know that it has to be changed. Some of the experiences that you and my husband may have, I can walk the same path in the same room and have a totally different experience. And I think with that said, that's where the, and, and, and the person, the ally that wants to acknowledge that something is wrong, that's where the change starts. It starts within ourself and it's one person at a time. Uh, my aunt's a teacher and, and the, the line of a teacher is always something like, uh, if you can educate one kid, you know, you, you know, you've done it, you, you know, you've done your job. Sure. Um, or as my Angelo says, I come as one man, but uh, I forget the words. I come as one man, but stand as 10,000 people. It's just one at a time. Yeah. This conversation with you is one and also 10,000. Well, I, I know that I have learned a lot from you. I've learned a lot about my own privilege and um, things that I need to be aware of and, and to change and to educate and to really think of how we do this together. Um, so again, just ins inspirational um, and gratitude for me. Um, so thank you. Thank you. I'm grateful for your friendship. In addition to being a black man in America, you're a black gay man in America and in an interracial marriage. 
I don't really know why any of this has to be a conversation, but it is a conversation. Mm-hmm. And would love for you to shed some insight into what that part of the journey has been like for you. Maybe some of the history and what it is today in 2021. So growing up, my parents coming from the generation that they came from, they taught me and my brother, brothers and sisters, not to look at race. We're not blind, so we can't, when people say, I don't look at race, we all can see. But they taught us to not use it as a crutch. That was important to them. And I'm grateful to the both of them for instilling this in me because it allowed me kind of to have a veil of protection around me as I maneuvered through music school, um, through classes where not everyone looked like me. Um, Sometimes there were offenses happening to me because this protective veil was over me, one might call it innocence, um, it kind of protected me. Um, I, you know, not to say I didn't see race, because like I said, we have eyes and we're not blind, but um, I didn't walk through life thinking I am the underdog. And it wasn't until I got older and went to school where there was one other black male in my graduating class and two black females. Hmm. Um, you notice that you feel it right here mm-hmm. in America, in Princeton, New Jersey, you feel it. So it wasn't until then that I was like, oh, wow, I am different. Or they would see me coming down the street and I would feel a little something, but I always put it aside as it's what it is. That's their problem, not mine. But therein lies the problem because the protection that my parents kept from me also kept me a bit under a rock. Um, I had someone say to me, Sean, you know, the only the only reason you are having this epiphany is you are becoming woke. In the beginning, I took offense to that term, but then I slept on it and I realized I may be becoming woke. Um, I married not to a white man, but to my best friend, mm. to my partner, to the person that makes me laugh and that I laugh at the most, <laughs> who just happens to be a white man. Right, right. But I did not go out to marry a white man. Yeah. I went out and had the great privilege of finding a partner that I love. And that's who I married. So when we walk through life, you know, I often will get a message as I did the other day when um, the terrorists broke into the Capitol. Um, And I do call them terrorists because if their names were not Bob or Sandra and their names ended with Hussein or Bin Sabu, they would have been categorized as terrorists. So I want to call them terrorists. And I remember when this this terrible inside job took place that we call something else, the media calls something else. Um, My husband texted me and he said, sweetheart, keep your eyes and ears open. Stay very diligent while you're on the road. 
and do me a favor, come home and let's just have dinner at home tonight. I didn't know what he was talking about. I was in the middle of showing homes yeah. to people and, yeah. and doing what, what, um, what I love doing, um, selling people their next home, their ne their dream. And I get this message totally confused. And then it wasn't until I get my car that he tells me what's going on. And I'm sort of in disbelief. And my first question was, is this real? Mm. Um, <laughs> because yeah. we saw what took place just a few months prior during Black Black Lives Matter and the extreme level of security that that took place, and I'm like, this, this that's not possible. So that's why I speculate and and say unapologetically inside job, but that's not what this is about. That that's about something totally different. I don't know, you know. I tell my husband, we, we just came back from visiting family in Alpharetta. I said, the reason that I wear my polos with the collar <laughs> um, stems from my grandfather not wanting us to come to the dinner table without a collared shirt on. Hmm. Um, and I know where that comes from, the, the other side, when you know when he assimilated into the white man's world he showed up in suit, jacket, tie. He had to, he couldn't change the color of his skin, but he certainly educated himself, my grandmother and my my mother's, my, my, my mom and my aunts um, to the best of his ability so that they could go into the world, the white man's world in their day, as they called it, to try to do something, to try to, to work and create and, and build and grow. But in 2021 we're still having the same conversations when my husband and i go out people will sometimes always address him first if we go into a bank mm -hmm. he'll get a different response than i'll get this is embedded mm -hmm. in our mm -hmm. dna and it's not the people flying the confederate flag that have to change it's all of us yeah all of us have to be enlightened and change and that's what I'm getting from my reading. I'm realizing that this is not the guy who has the the Trump and Confederate flags outside of his home. I drove by a home the other day. Must have been a hundred on the lawn. Oh my goodness! I, I didn't even believe that this was possible. Hundreds on the lawn, lined up evenly. And I said, his problem is not just racism or the boys' club. His problem is so much deeper, and we all have that same problem. He just he just puts a hundred flags right, right. on his yard um, to show who he wants to be president. However, we've already you know Congress sure. has already said sure. who is the next president. So. The voters, the voters said that. Yeah, the yeah. voters, the people. Yeah, yeah the, the the people have have spoken, and um, he still chooses to decorate his lawn with yes. This. So it's the the journey still goes on. The journey yeah. still goes on in 2021. It does. It does and it it's it's hard for me to accept that there's still this journey that has to happen. I I can't imagine from your perspective I'm I'm always trying to understand that better. But I think, you know, when I think about us coming together and and the four of us as a couple um, two couples together and, and, you know, I would like to think we just gather and we're four great friends and, you know, there's no, 
filtering going on and and Mm -hmm. we just see each other as people and so I guess so often I sit there and it's just like, why, why, why can't we just see each other as just people? We're all people. So I, you know, I'm just grateful for someone like you who can help build these bridges and help show a way to have a deeper conversation. Absolutely. To your point, it's uh, there's so much rooted underneath all of us. We can go and blame the flags in the yard, but it's way beyond that. Mm-hmm. It's 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 in our DNA. It's in the make. It's it's as Isabel says. It's in the cast that we come into at mm-hmm. birth. Right. Right. That we're assigned to. Right. Before we can um, speak a word, before we can understand correct. a word, it's already correct. in us from our ancestors. Correct. She yeah. speaks, of, she tells a story of a little kid playing in the yard. This was in the time of the enslaved and that humans owned other humans. And she said that the little girl played in the yard with the master's daughter until a certain age and she thought that they were equal she said this is just my playmate they were the same age she slept in the outhouse and the young girl slept inside but they played all day long and it wasn't until they were coming of age that the young girl was having dresses made and the slave the enslaved girl saw her position starting to take place Mm. so it goes towards what my mom always tells me that Racism is taught. So we as individuals have to look at the next generation and be very conscious as to what we're teaching them. Right. Um, Jared and I have two sisters that we're very close with, and they each have two children. And we love them with all of our hearts. We're very much involved. There's not a cake cut or balloon that takes place, a celebration that Jared, Unky, Jared, and are not in <laughs> in attendance. And um, the thing that I want for them is I want Martin Luther King's dream that he had for the content of the person to prevail. I want when my little buddy Vinny grows up that he sees the color, but he also knows that there is nothing different from the other, from the person that stands in front of him with a different color skin tone. Hmm. I want Trey to not have to have the same conversation that I had to have with my father if pulled over by a police when getting my first car at the age of 18, 17, 18. Um, so that's why I do my reading. That's why I stay positive and I, I stay away from anger and I read, I read, I try to have these conversations because it's allies like you that will go off and open up dialogue that we've discussed at dinner, many, many dinners, (laughs) um, which led to this podcast, um, so yeah amen amen to that as well amen really uh 
I, I look forward to continuing the journey with you and through learning more. I do. Thank you. And, and thank you for entrusting me uh, with your stories and your protest and the invitation to be even a small part of that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you as well. So, Sean, how about you share with us some sort of a self-care spiritual practice that helps you just stay grounded, little peace, little calmness, some restfulness, whatever the word is for you. But in all this protesting, how do you... <laughs> How do you not go so crazy? Now, now you want me to divulge my secrets. Well, I won't give them all to you. Okay. But how about one? Um, <laughs> one of the things that I love and I learned uh, coming down here from my dad is that successful men and women do they're consistent. So at the way before COVID started, my husband and I trim our hairs. Our, our we give ourselves haircuts in our bathroom and we trim and shave and uh, self-care. Often that is accompanied by me listening to music in my little AirPods, um, something classical and um, followed by a mask um, <laughs> to keep the skin hydrated. That's my normal, I call it me time. Mm -hmm. um, I usually disappear into the bathroom for about an hour. I ask my husband to help me trim up my neck. Um, but that's time that I just really take to myself. I, I don't answer the telephone. Um, it's usually Thursday evenings. That's that's my set time. Um, and it's a time that I try not to think about the world that I just, I just try to exist. I trim my hair, get rid of some of the grays. My father calls it paint dropping in my hair, all of the grays that keep showing up. <laughs> um, yeah, I painted. I painted last week, so that's why I have all these ha gray hairs in my head, on my head. But yeah, that's I, I, I often like go and do that for me. Um, I mean, it sounds like you take sort of bring a spa experience just into your home and oh, you don't need anyone's oh, help. Oh, without question, it's a spa. I mean, there's a candle involved. Oh. There's there's a nice bottle of wine. My husband's usually laid out on, his, on the sofa, um, enjoying whatever he's watching on television. And I'm totally giving myself a spa day, yeah. 100%. <laughs> I love it. So often towards the end of our podcast here, we offer a little joy and gratitude. And I thought for the joy today, you might be willing to share with the world what the menu is this week? What culinary <laughs> masterpiece are you working on for Jared this week? Well, sticking to my consistency, often on Tuesdays, I, I follow suit and do Taco Tuesdays. Oh. But today, um, in honor of Martin Luther King's birthday, I am going to, as my grandmother said, put my foot in the pot. <laughs> and I'm going to do a slow beef stew. Uh, with the coconut rice and vegetables. Mm. And just really, you know, maybe do some more reading, maybe do some meditating. Because I am grateful for the, to show that I am grateful for the people that came before me, the sacrifice. Um, yesterday I watched, last night, my mother recommended that I watch a movie, One Night in Miami. And 
you know, we don't forget, but I want to make sure we don't forget that, yes, today we are honoring Martin Luther King for his birthday, but we have to remember all of the people that were affected in it and in his assassination um, for standing for something peaceful that his children, his wife, his family, his nieces, nephews um, that were left behind. And I think that for me today, what's on the menu is a beef stew that I call comforting food. That's comfort food that comes from your soul because I could give you a gift. I could buy you a card, but for me to cook for you means that I took the time out and I'm putting my love in that pot or as my grandmother used to say, her foot in the pot. <laughs> <laughs> well, so as, that's what's on the menu for tonight. It sounds lovely, and as always, if there's ever too much food, <laughs> uh, yes, I will drive some to your home. Yeah, I mean, I I make visits too, so yeah. <laughs> if I need to make an open table, let me know. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you, Sean. This has been truly inspirational, eye-opening, as always, with you. Again, thank you for allowing me into this part of your journey and know of my support and always willingness and desire to learn more and to know more, to be a better ally um, in this very, very important moment for equality and justice for all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you for your time and thank you for providing the space to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you to everyone out there who has joined us today. Hope that everyone will might go search out a new book today. Maybe we'll find a way to post a few of these books in the podcast description, if that works with Sean, and certainly on my social media. You can connect with me more and find me more, as always, at brianantos.com. It's B-R-Y-A-N-A-N-T-H-O-S dot com. And Sean, if someone would like to get in touch, maybe for a book recommendation or maybe the <laughs> stew recipe, if it's available, <laughs> how can they do that? Feel free to write me uh, on my email, sean.garrier at gmail.com. That's S-E-A-N dot g-u-e-r-r-i-e-r -R -R -E at gmail.com or on Instagram Sean Guerrier at Instagram excellent Sean thank you again enjoy your stew tonight thank you I'll be looking for the pictures thank you thank you and to everyone out there thanks as always for stopping by and until next time thank you.